Hi there, I'm Minister Corey, and welcome to the Health and Wellness In Focus program and podcast. We're here live at a wellness hub, New Covenant Church, and we're so excited that you join us for another episode. Be sure to subscribe, like, so you can stay up to date with everything that we have going on. This is a program brought to you by Dr. Hudson. It's also brought to you by the wellnessconnectionindy.org, where we exist for advocacy, education, and resource connection. We hold true to John 10 and 10 that states, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that's what this program and podcast is all about. So thanks again for joining us. On today's episode, we will hear from Dr. Deborah Carter Miller. She is a native of Indianapolis, Indiana, educated in IPS schooling. She was a student at Crispus Atkins High School. She participated in multiple science fairs where she graduated at Northwestern University with a bachelor's degree in chemistry and teaching degree of chemistry. Dr. Miller attended Indiana University School of Medicine, and she later completed her internship and residency at Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis. Dr. Miller worked for a number of healthcare facilities and private offices, and eventually establishing her own private practice, Mapleton Medical Center, in 1988 in the Meridian, historic Meridian Park. She was board certified in family medicine, which is a specialty. She eventually became accomplished in the management of weight loss resistance. She was a national speaker at the American Heart Association. Dr. Deborah Carter Miller believes the practice of integrative medicine is essential to healing the mind, body, and spirit. Also, she believes at the basis of every chronic disorder is a nutritional challenge. Problem solving in medicine has come full circle in her life as she's focusing on a study, investigation, communication, and teaching. Addressing the concepts of nutrition, health, and healing is her goal. So I'm so excited to welcome to the Health and Wellness In Focus program and podcast, Dr. Deborah Carter-Miller. Welcome, welcome. Well, thank you, Minister Corey. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. It is a pleasure of mine as well. We just concluded an event at the uh, Art Center of the Meridian Park. And one thing that's not listed in this bio of Dr. Deborah Carter Miller is that she is for the community. Uh, we recently did a father figures uh, event. It was like a TED talk and a concert. <laughs> And we celebrated on Juneteenth and Father's Day. We celebrated uh, father figures. We had conversations about accountability, about prison prevention, about disciple making. It was an awesome event. You brought the communi community out. That's and I just wanted to thank you publicly for allowing me to use the facility there. My pleasure. It, it just really was the best part of the day was that event. And when I went to bed that night, I said, this is a wonderful Father's Day. That's not even a father. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, uh, Dr. Miller, <laughs> I want to start off this episode today, and I want to ask, why did you become a medical doctor? 
Well, no, when you uh, sent me some of the prospective questions that you were going to ask, I said, well, how shall I answer that? It's a long, somewhat long uh, explanation or uh, why I wanted to become a doctor, but I can succinctly say it that I think God placed something in me to have compassion. And I thought back on it, and I remember when I was a young girl that my brother had a toy clown. And I found the toy clown. I was probably no more than three or four or five years old. And uh, I found this toy clown, and it was stuffed with uh, straw. And somehow it had been ripped open, I guess, by our dog. And it was just on the on the floor. And I looked at it, and I said, it made me cry. <laughs> and I thought about it as years later, and I said, why would I cry over a stuffed toy? And I think that that moment in my life, God was pl- placing... Uh, a measure of compassion in me. And, and I really appreciate that because it, I, I actually have benefited from it and so have my patients. In addition, when I was also a young woman, a young child, I was walking with my mom, uh, to the store and there was a lady in our, in our neighborhood named Miss Elizabeth and I thought she was delightful. And you know, back in the day when the ladies would wear their stockings twisted and up there on their legs and what have you, you know, and she's sitting on a rocking, sitting on the porch rocking. And as I walked past her, I was probably no more than six years old. And I walked past her, I noticed that her stockings were ripped. And as I looked at them, there were maggots in the holes of her stockings. And it was, uh, it, it was more, it wasn't frightening as much as it was interesting to me. And, and I was amazed that she didn't feel it and she didn't complain. Well, now I know she had neuropathy and all these other things. But subsequently, I looked at my mom who had my, who had taken my hand and I said, hi, Miss Elizabeth. And I said, mom, what, what's wrong with her? She said, baby, she's got the sugar. <laughs> and I said, the sugar? What's that? She said, diabetes. And I just looked at it. I love Miss Elizabeth. I said, when I grow up, I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> so so I, and these are true stories. And I think as you asked, when, when I saw your question, I said, you know, that's true. And from then on, I just had a passion to help people. And I, and I thank God for the compassion that's necessary, you know, in the practice of medicine as well as the art of medicine. Awesome. We thank God as well that he placed that on your heart to have compassion. So you ultimately, you didn't say anything about money. <laughs> oh. And um, so we thank God for uh, him placing that on your heart to uh, be compassionate towards his people and want to put people back together. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. It's like that little to- toy clown. It's, it's something. That's awesome. So the the Wellness Connection, we do uh, strive to address health disparities uh, amongst uh, people who are maybe disenfranchised, disinherited, um, are marginalized. So I wanted to ask you, in your profession, in your years of practice, uh, what have you observed throughout your practice in terms of uh, health disparities amongst minorities? Oh, my goodness. That's, that would create volumes of information. But I'll say succinctly that when I initially started practicing medicine, I noticed, particularly in the hospital setting, that there was a difference in how people were treated. I actually um, have noticed over the years that as I was attempting to learn about medicine, I would have preceptors or doctors who would train you. And frequently, 
I think that God also put me in unique situations where I could see similar situations that were treated in diametrically opposite ways. And I, and, and I never suspected for one moment that it was racism or, or sexism or any of the isms. I just wondered why it was because I was curious in understanding the approach to different problems and, and actually to the same problem in many cases. So I remember one time there was a lady in the hospital who um, was a, a, a dialysis candidate. And she was an elderly lady. And by the time I picked her up on the service, they called it the service, she had something called uremic frost. And uremic frost is essentially the end stage of re, uh, end stage kidney disease. And, and almost without exception, one would die if that was not addressed. So in the process of this, I went to my professor, and, and, and but prior to that, I, I looked up the reasons why one would and would not be offered dialysis. And uh, and she didn't meet any of the crit exclusion criteria. So I said, well, maybe it's something else. So I, I went to him and I said, doctor, why is it that she can't get dialysis? He said, well, she's not she doesn't qualify for dialysis. So what do you mean? He says, well, she doesn't qualify. So I said, okay. And then with some selfish reasons, Minister Corey, because I was required as the intern on the floor to do her fluid electrolyte balance labs as well as her uh, formulae. Every day I would have to mix up her bags and whatever and come up with different types of approaches to, to, to address her deficiencies and replete things. And that was a lot of work. <laughs> So, so subsequently, I said, I don't want to do this forever. She had uremic frost. So I said, well, so I went to him and he said, well, she's not due for it. Well, suffice it to say, to make a long story short, this lady happened to be the daughter of a lady who was, uh, had gone to medical, who'd gone to nursing school with my sister. And so she said, Carter, and I was, my maiden name was Carter. And she said, um, well, you know, Jessica Carter? I said, yeah, it's my sister. And so then I felt that I had a connection with her. So I felt that I had, um, in having that connection, I could share with her what I thought. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, you, you know, your mom is needs dialysis. And I said, why hasn't she had it? Why do you think it is? He says, she said, well, I asked him, he won't do it. I said, well, did you ask him why you're a nurse? He says, he just says she, she won't do it. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you go to uh, this doctor and you demand it. He'll have to give her dialysis if you demand it, or he'll have to give you a reason why. At the time, they had boards where you had to take the patient uh, before the board. So anyway, suffice to say, the lady ended up getting dialysis. I rotated off that. These rotations were no more than a month or two. So he would stay there, take care of the patient. I rotated off. And this is the truth. Five years later, I saw this lady and her daughter in a shopping center. Wow. And the lady was coherent, and she spoke to me. And what I learned from that was that there were different ways that people were approached depending upon whatever. So I had, to, so it was my, I, it was my um, goal in in my career to understand what those reasons were and to and to address them. And whenever it was in my power to make a difference, I try. So that was one situation. I had several others that had to do uh, similar types of encounters with people that I was training under. And and oftentimes, you know, you get in a little trouble for it. And I remember one time I had told somebody, you need to be transferred. I already raised for transfer. They weren't going to do a, an inner directing on a lady because whatever. 
So I said, well, why don't we get a transfer? So we got a transfer. I called Dr. Edward Ross, a prominent and very well-respected and highly intelligent and, and just gifted cardiologist. He agreed to accept it. The lady got her, got her surgery, and she lived. So in terms of disparities, I've noticed that. And, and, I'm not, and, and what I will say is this, is without, almost without exception, it's done in a way where it's in a, not inadvertent, but not noticeable. You know, it's almost like they used to say it was a, a, a benign, a somewhat benign negligence, whatever you want to call it. It's it's sort of in a way that sometimes people just think that's what you're supposed to do for people who look like this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be an old person. Sometimes it'll be a black person. Sometimes it'll be a poor white person. Sometimes it'll be a poor, it may be a lady. But I found that disparities were so ingrained in, 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 in medicine, that unless you were diligent and you paid attention and you would engage, become engaged with the family, that's why I went into family medicine because I'm not, try, I'm not a goody two, I'm not someone that's on a soapbox, I'm not a goody two shoes type of person. I just believe that we're called to do what we're called to do and you train to do what you say you do. And by the same token, I would see other people get very advanced therapies who had no hope. You know, and and so that concerns me, and it concerns me to this day. And it, and we can say it's gotten better, but actually it hasn't. Well, it seems like you've been uh, not only advocating for people, but you're also an advocate for advocacy. Um, so that is very something that's very important to us uh, at the Wellness Connection, and uh, something that we try to highlight on this podcast. Um, how? Can minorities advocate for themselves? Like, I, I I find it interesting. I'll just use this as this is sort of an opposite of what you ask me. I found it interesting that the first or second year of the pandemic, first time in the history of this country, we had an African American Attorney General under Trump, the president of the National Medical Association, which is the Association for Minorities, because we formed that or it was formed way before I was in practice, of course, back probably 100 years old or more. But it was formed um, because African-American and other minority physicians and dentists could not participate in the American Medical Association. It was for the majority of physicians in this country who happened to be other than minorities. So, so, we, had, so we had three major organizations that oversee uh, the education, the many of the legislature issues that uh, physicians have uh, and their activities, their training, their C- you know, CME and whatever. So we had an African-American attorney general. We had an African-American who was a female who was in charge of the National Medical Association and an African-American who was in charge of the, who headed the American Medical Association. Never happened before. And guess what? Well, I didn't see any impact on healthcare for minorities or anybody else. In fact, as you are aware, there was a pandemic that led to more people in this country dying from, uh, in a, what you would say, an advanced country dying, and you know, as opposed to people in other countries who didn't. And these decisions were made by groups of people who had the power to do so. And so I uh, think that. Yeah, you know, so how can we impact it? We have to do it through those mechanisms, but it didn't happen, you know. So there must be other ways of advocacy that we need to address. 
And I think that money talks, you know? So I think that when, when, and what I found is that when I would join, um, some of the groups that they would have, and I'd bring in the bulk of my patients at that time, were African American patients, and I would bring the bulk of them to, uh, let's say a health maintenance organization. Uh, I, I had several occasions where they were against my entering because we shared losses and we shared finances. So for instance, if expenses exceeded what we took in, we would all lose money. So, as there were a few of the people whom I knew, uh, they objected to my entering. I was the first black and only black person in the group. This group was called MaxiCare. But surprisingly, I did very well, not because of, of me in particular, but what they thought, i.e., we would, I would have a sicker population of poorly controlled diseases, i.e., chronic diseases, wasn't the truth. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen at all. And in fact, they ended up asking me and several other people who practiced like me who happened to be black. They asked us, well, how do you save money? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the relationship that we had to our patients. It was a study done this year, in fact, that contrary to what people believe, in communities where there is diversity in the healthcare delivery system, that is the providers, that people, black and white and all other everything in between, do better health-wise than they do in, in, in more segregated communities. Now, they said that even when some of the people weren't being seen by white people or black people in particular, that the community did better. And so you have to think of, to yourself, why is that? I couldn't think of any reason. I had several that I thought of, but didn't make a lot of sense to me. But this study came out earlier this year, and I and I thought it was fascinating. I had I actually heard it. Uh, a, a, I guess it was a brief explanation of how it had been done on the news, and I know it's true because it was on MSNBC. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, I found that to be an interesting. Um, application of diversity mm-hmm. that really just simply meant that there were all kinds of people in the community, but they didn't necessarily interact in every way, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that people who are in communities where they are not racist, let's <laughs> say, are sexist. I mean, there's no misogyny. There's, they don't like young people. They're not against young people, against old people. I think when people just relax and let people be people, mm-hmm. I think those people tend to be healthier people. <laughs> you know? And they tend to, and stress, we know, leads to many types of diseases, including uh, diseases, particularly in the immune system, mm-hmm. that leads to other types of things. I've seen people who hold grudges that are that are angry about something that happened 30 years ago, they have more health conditions than people who have uh, fewer, shall I say, hang-ups. Mm-hmm. I, we could call them stumbling blocks. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so I think that diversity is important. And it's a new term because when I was in school, there was no such thing. We didn't even know exactly what is diversity. Yeah. But um, now I, I think it's extremely important that we spend a lot of time uh, understanding why people think the way they think, mm-hmm. because it's resulting in a lot of morbidity and mortality that's unnecessary. And it's leading to a lot of false uh, premises, and people are practicing based on those premises, i.e., Dr. Carter Miller has, the doctor, at the time I was Carter 
uh, still single, Dr. Carter has to have sicker patients because they're all black, and black people are sicker than other people. Mm-hmm. And they are, have created algorithms for treating people based on that faulty information. Wow. And so, wow. And, and much of what we find in terms of the health and how people suffer in their communities is not necessarily because people don't adhere to what the instructions or they take the medicines, it's because there isn't offered to them. Mm-hmm. So that are they're not even told about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to be more. Uh, uh, I think we need to be more. Um, we need to do more to introduce people to uh, a variety of approaches to different type, different diseases. We need to make sure that we have uh, access to that. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that people who look like folks. And all other are in those communities look like us, and there are there were times when it was felt that many black people didn't want African American physicians. I've actually been told that by patients who were African American, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that once we spend time educating people, and and then we prove to them that it's not really about the color of the skin as much as it's about the content of the character. Absolutely. As you, as you know, said that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. This is, this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, just to make this more practical um, for the people who are listening, those who are watching, um, because that's a great information. <laughs> Me personally, when I go to the doctor, I don't recall how many times I ask them specific questions. Mm-hmm. Are there alternate treatments? What other options are available? Mm-hmm. From a doctor's perspective, would you say that that's a, a challenge uh, if they're questioning you and your practice and your That's, suggestions? I love that question, Minister Corey, because what I've learned over the years is that people will make proper decisions if you give them the information needed to do so. And I have never met a patient who will not do what's required when they understand why they're required to do it. Now, if they refuse to do it, then they probably have a mental illness. But that's not that's not that common. You know, they, you know, there's something else going on. But typically, people will always follow instructions and do what you need them to do if they understand why they need to do it. So it's our job to educate people, to, to empower them to make proper decisions. And, you know, if you just if, if doctors are not... Um, so I say we're not dictators. And I tell them, for instance, I'm not the food Nazi. If I tell you what you can't eat and why can't I eat it? Well, because of this reason and that reason. OK, so I think that people are always and what I found in experience, my personal experience is that people will do what you ask them to do for their towards their health. Mm-hmm. If they understand why they've got to do it That's good. and if you explain it to them, so you empower them to do so. And if you tell them about alter now, some doctors don't know anything about alternative medicine now. And that's because we weren't trained in that. So if you really want to learn something about alternative medicine, you have to go to uh, take extra training and you have to do studying on your own. If you want to learn about herbal medicine or in particular, what I call integrative medicine. But what I found is that it's easy for me to, we're supposed to be healers. We're not supposed to patch people up and send them on their way and say, see you next year. If we're not in the business of trying to heal people, what are we doing? What are we here for? It's not really just to, to give people a dictum and tell them what to do and then hope that they do it. If you, if you can empower them, give them the tools, give them the proper structure whereby to do it, 
people do because you know what? They're going to feel better. They're going to feel better. And if you can help... Now, there are diseases that are silent killers like like uh, hypertension and people don't always feel it. But ultimately, I have found, particularly because our foods are processed and refined, that in this environment in particular, uh, much of what we need to be healed has been removed from our food. So you almost have to recommend that people supplement. You have to understand that chromium and vanadium and, and molybdenum and magnesium are necessary for insulin to heal uh, insulin receptors. Okay. And once you understand that, people understand that and they feel better. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to continue with Dr. Carter Miller here. I'm going to ask you to speak specifically to a health disparity that is uh, amongst young African-American women. And this is in regards to uh, pregnancy. Um, so I want to ask you, Dr. Carter Miller, um, how can pregnant minorities better advocate for themselves? Well, that's a very difficult question because uh, a few years ago, as you, you may recall, uh, particularly in Marion County, pregnant women and particularly minority women were suffering some, uh, shall I say, complications of pregnancy. They rivaled third world countries. And I hate to say third world countries because they're doing pretty well sometimes. But, you know, you have to ask yourself why. Well, there's, there's a number of reasons. I think we have to have people that, you know, many people who don't get the help that they need in preparation for their, you know, in other words, pregnancy is something that you really should prepare for. Mm -hmm. Once you get pregnant, I mean, before you get pregnant, you should have a good diet. You shouldn't be obese. You should have good nutritional status, that type of thing. You should be fairly healthy. However, a lot of times we aren't. So we really are going to have to teach our young people, men and women, young men and young women, how to prepare for pregnancy, number one, that, and it needs to be planned. You can't, you know, this spontaneity in pregnancy is a, is a problem. And, uh, in, in addition to that, the resources necessary, uh, for a healthy pregnancy from conception to birth really need to be available in a way that people have access to them. So what I'm trying to say is in my personal experience, I've taken care of people who don't go uh, pregnant women who don't go to see an obstetrician or their family medicine person until they are like, you know, three or four months or more. Why? Wow. You know, well, I think that much of it has to do with um, a lack of access sometimes. Uh, sometimes people, and, and to make matters worse, if they go to emergency department, most obstetricians or family medicine physicians won't accept them because of the risk. Mm-hmm. So I think that we really are going to have to spend a lot of time training our young people on how to be not only in preparation for pregnancy, but how to be healthy in general. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself will make it an easier pregnancy. And um, I, I've oftentimes wondered why I have had, as I said, my personal experience, a young woman that was angry with me because... I couldn't get her an obstetrician because I wasn't delivering at that time. I personally delivered about 500 babies. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, uh, and, and, and she was angry because I couldn't get her an obstetrician because she was like 17, 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so I, so I, so I interviewed her over the phone because I hadn't seen her and she had a very, um, angry attitude. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her, I said, she says, well, nobody ever got back to me. And you know, these kinds of things. And I'm saying, well, and they didn't call me when I called them, this happened and all these excuses. Mm -hmm. Well, I said to her, I said, you know, I said, no one is really going to try. It's, it's difficult to get people to help you with an attitude like that. Mm -hmm. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, you know, people don't have to help you, <laughs> you know, they're not required to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and they can just, you know, just, just putt, punt and send you on down the road. So changing the way that you speak to people really, really helps mm -hmm. and changing how you behave helps. And I think, is that a big issue? Sometimes it is, you know, sometimes yeah. it is. So, and I think that not just, and I'm not talking about minorities only. I'm talking about some younger people. Don't be mad at me, young people. But sometimes, you know, we all in this culture feel entitled. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you have to be an advocate for yourself. So people are supposed to do this for me and do that for me. And you're supposed to find this for me and find that for me. You know, you really have to advocate for yourself because, because if you educate yourself, then you're going to be more able to deal with any problems that come along, and you can also ask the proper questions. Mm -hmm. How else can you do that? Yeah. So I think it's a matter, and, and you don't have to have a college degree or even a high school degree to do that. You just have to have a healthy attitude in terms and in, in, in terms of being able wanting to inquire. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have a curiosity. You want to be healthy. So I think I think that a lot of the problems that exist are mul it's, it's multiple. It's mm -hmm. not one thing. It's not one thing at all. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that people oftentimes who are dependent upon, so I say, uh, government insurances for their health in particular have less access. Why? Because they have to already be in the system. If they're not, then they have to get assigned. They make it auto assigned. They make it auto assigned way across town where they don't have, you know, have transportation. Mm -hmm. So we have transportation issues. We have access issues. We have informational lack of information. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, people who are coming up in homes where that type of information isn't important or else they don't have any, any older person to help them. You know, it's a lot of different things. Awesome. Thank you. I, I, I heard a lot there in this very, very uh, condensed and it's very, very good information. And I heard you say a healthy curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy curiosity. That, that's uh that's really good. I do think that there are some, you know, some social economic mm -hmm. things as well that go on with minorities, education, like you mentioned, you know, finances and people are stressing, people are, you know, allowing yeah. a lot of the things that are going on in the world to impact, impact their their mind and ultimately impact their wellness. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak to the importance of um, your 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 faith in your in your wellness um, and your approach mm -hmm. to to medicine? Well, I um, I really believe that I cannot do anything without Him who helps me. I just, I just believe that. And so I, and I, it's not so much what I believe is what I know, because I've had people who have disorders who've been told that they're terminal. And honestly, we pray for them. They got better. And this happened early. I, I had the, I had the privilege of practicing with a, 
physician whose father was a doctor. And he happened to be a, um, a deacon in his church, the physician that is. He was not a, he was not a minister per se. But so we had, because he had been a, a, a past, a minister for, a possibly had been a physician for a long time in the town and everyone knew his dad, we had the privilege of having a, a, a large number of ministers. You know, they, they were, they were his patients and I inherited the practice because he asked me to join him. And I was, and even though I had gone to church and, and, you know, I had done, you know, I looked at all different types of faiths. I wasn't even baptized at the time I became a physician. I'm not embarrassed to say so. It's just the way that it was. And my parents wanted you to get baptized when you, you know, they were baptized, but they wanted us to make that decision. They didn't do it when we were children. So they said, when are you going to get baptized? Well, I'm thinking about it, you know. And so we would go to church, but we weren't necessarily attached in a spiritual way. The, the way we should have been. But as I worked in the practice with this gentleman, this doctor, who had all of these minister patients who were ministers and believers, believers, I noticed one thing. Then somebody could walk into that office with a blood pressure of 200 over 120, and I wouldn't see any physical findings whatsoever that would alarm me of this blood pressure. Wow. And these people had a glow, and a lot of them, these were truly believe they had a lot of uh, spiritual connections with not only with my with my uh, mentor, Dr. Thomas, but also they were just they had a lot of them were really strong people in the community. Then I had other folks who would walk in that you know would have a blood pressure one you know, that was reasonable, 160 over something, but they didn't believe in anything. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see this several, once or twice. I saw this multiple times. And so what I finally learned is, I, I, I looked at it and I, and I had one time, I remember when I was having some difficulties in my personal life and a lady came in and she noticed and she said, what's the matter? I, so I told her, I shared with her what was wrong. She was a minister. And she said, we're going to pray for you. We're going, to, we're going to get my prayer warriors. I've never heard that term before. Mm -hmm. I said, what? Your what? Your prayer warriors. That lady went home and prayed, I guess. She said she did. Things in my life turned around that night. Wow. So I said, hmm, I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. <laughs> so, so what? So, so I said, now I remember one time a guy came to my office. I was having some difficulties. And... His knees hurt, and he came in, and I was having some more difficulties in the practice or something. And this man came in. I only saw him one time, and he prayed for me, and I never saw him again. And I asked who he was, and nobody, I mean, I'm not joking. I said, this is Mr. Bob. I said, who is he? And I got, things got better. So what did I learn? I said, wait a minute. <laughs> so I have in my personal experience in that practice, not only from the beginning when I was practiced with a doctor who was a believer, he prayed for people. We prayed for people. These people got better. I've seen people with breast cancer. We prayed for them. They got, that man with alcoholism for 30 years. He came in there and we prayed for him and he got better. Wow. So what I've learned is that, hey, I need everything I can use to help people. <laughs> Amen. So so I'll take it. Amen. So I said, thank you, Lord. So then I said to myself, I want what they've got. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I so I went to a you know, my husband signed me up for something. I got baptized and you know, my life changed and it's been, the rest is history. And I just thank God for that 
to give me the strength and the tools because without it, I couldn't have made it. Amen. That's good. So Dr. Miller <laughs> believes in prayer and medicine. Amen. Yeah. So, you know, we worked at the uh, at the same hospital. You were at uh, Methodist <laughs> yes. and I was there doing uh, internship with some chaplain work there. Mm-hmm. And I can say and I'm not a medical doctor. You are. But I can say that a lack of hope has an impact yes. on the prognosis and yes. the, the treatment plan that doctors yes. might roll uh, might roll out for the patient. Mm-hmm. And then I think about the, the you know, that uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Sure. And um, a lot of people want worldly wisdom, and that can unfortunately lead to um, health issues if you seek your happiness and your peace from the wrong sources, okay? Because money shouldn't make us happy. It shouldn't, you know, it... it I mean, it can bring some, but it's not the, it can bring some happiness, but it's not the end all. It's not the, it's not the, you know, the purpose of you being alive. And so, so you would concur that the, uh, that, that a lack of hope does have an impact on on people's prognosis? It's interesting to say that because uh, Bishop Benjamin, who is no longer here, he's in California. He and I had, uh, did a talk one time on AM 1310 about faith and faith healing and how it impacts spiritually, not only uh, people in, in terms of their faith and giving them hope, but it impacted their health. Mm-hmm. And we actually had, went through scriptures on that. And we actually had cases of that. And so, yes, I do believe it. And that's why I say that you cannot, you know, you know, you know if, we, if we're called to heal, and, when, and, and in the scriptures, as you all know, it's not the gift of healing, it's the gifts of healing. It's a plural. And so when you know that there are multiple ways. You know, mm-hmm. All you've got to do is ask him. And, you know, you ask him to, to guide you and to, and to tell you what you need to know. And even when it comes from something as simple as, as, as um, fasting and prayer, how does that work? And when you give people these tools, it makes my job easier. You know, I, like I said, I'm lazy. I want people to get, I don't want to work hard. <laughs> you know, I want people to get well so I can use the help. You know, in fact, I, you know, God doesn't need my help. I need his. <laughs> so I rely on him. And you know what I do? I don't, I get out, I, I get out of his way. So if he tells me, you know, and, and, and you know, he'll show you in multiple ways what to do. And, 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 you know, it's not like some great voice. Sometimes it might be, you know, sometimes it's just through confirmation. Someone comes and tells you, but without exception, if you ask him and you ask him believing that you will receive, it, he'll give it to you and he'll give you what you need to do what he's asked you to do. And he'll never leave you and he will not forsake you. Amen. I I totally agree. So uh, we plan on here soon. We plan on doing a Am I Healthy you, Young Adult Seminar. We plan on doing that. We want to pose the question, am I healthy? So I wanted to ask you, Dr. Uh, Carter Miller, what type of questions should we be asking ourselves in regards to our health and wellness? Well, I think that that's, that's that's a huge subject. But I think that we really, one of the things that I think harms us the most is that our families aren't intact. I think we really need to figure out in the way that they should be. And we know that there's been systematic, in my opinion, systematic attempts to destroy families. And, there's, and you know, we know who does that, the evil ones. So 
we really, the family is a foundation. It's so important. And God used even the structure of the marriage is important. You know, he compares that to what the church, right? So we have so many different influences and people aren't healthy because that fundamentally we have to ask, is your, is your uh, environment healthy? Are you in a healthy environment? So environment's important. Mm-hmm. Let alone how you feel. You know, is your environment important? Are you in a healthy relationship with your family, with your Lord? Are you in a healthy relationship with your siblings, with your parents? And are you uh, attempting at least making an effort to keep yourself well and find out what you need to do to stay that way. Because, as I said, putting your head in the sand is is not going to do it. People are afraid oftentimes to, particularly men, you know, I'm not going to just say put it on men, but men oftentimes don't really seek out information about their health. Mm -hmm. And so we women have to help them. So I, I guess that's a, in, in terms of answering that, am I healthy? We have to look at the at our environment, our families, you know, our uh, our general health, and our relationships. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, there are a number of other things in in terms of are we stressed? Stress is such a huge problem, and you know it impacts us in so many ways. I hear people all the time saying, "Now I'm stressed." I'm stressed. And, and I, there was a time I didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I hear more than anything, I'm suffering from anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'm going like, anxiety. And so, so now we see, a, we hear a lot of that. In fact, I was reading, uh, we get updates in terms of what we should be screening for. Mm-hmm. We got now started screening people for anxiety. Wow. Everybody's anxious, but I hope I answered your question, but I think that are, are you healthy? I think that we could put it into different subsets mm-hmm. of what is required to have good health. Okay. And then we could look at certainly you have to have a good environment that helps, you know, a healthy, supportive environment. And that includes your family, your what you eat, all these other things. And then you have to have your mind has to be healthy because, you know, the battlefield's in the mind. Mm. And, and so often people will think themselves into bad health. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Wow. And, you know, I mean, and fear, oh, fear is a major problem. Wow. You know, fear is the opposite of what? I say it's the opposite of faith. I don't know how many people, it's, it's false yeah. evidence appearing what? Real? Not real, absolutely. And, so you, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a lecturer in terms of, you know, uh, scriptures and what have you. It's just what I believe. And what I believe is that Fear is probably one of the most crippling influences I see in people's lives. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of not having enough money. And what does God say? He says, I'll supply all your needs. Wow. But you got to ask him. Mm-hmm. And then you got to ask someone who can help you, perhaps, if you don't know, because that's how I found out. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to help me. Absolutely. <laughs> I was a dumb bunny. <laughs> <laughs> She's just kidding. <laughs> we're we're here with uh, Dr. Deborah Carter Miller here on the Health and Wellness podcast and program, Health and Wellness in Focus. And I've got Dr. Carter Miller here, and I'm just asking her a bunch of questions. I would like to ask, what advice would you give to other people who are in the service of people, to clergy, other nurses who are 
you know, we won't see another generation of nurses for a while, you know, doctors and people who are in medical staff. Do you have any insight in regards to self-care that you would like to share with with the people in regards to taking care of themselves as they serve others? Well, that's a fascinating question because I actually think, I have thought when, when Bishop was here, we thought about how we could serve the clergy because, you know, you know how Satan is. You are the one supposed to help us. So who do you think he's attacking? <laughs> so, I mean, the rest of us, you know, we're who we are. But the clergy are the ones, when, when, when the devil wants to come against a clergy, a person in, in of a cloth. You know, well, I've noticed, and I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, have you ever noticed how he always comes up with these sexual sins that nobody will forgive ever? He could, he could beat his wife, he could rob a bank, but when it comes to that kind of thing... People just, oh, my God. You know, so the devil is so, God, you know, greater is he that's in us and he's in the world. But he's got all these little tools of how he attacks the people who are there to help us and help and keep our connection with the Lord. And he's attacking them every day. I think what I think is that there needs to be a group of people, whether it be, I think we need to have people that are in the body, health, the, the, the training in how to take care of the human body, the mind, how to give people strength, to teach you all how to deal with stress, mm-hmm. you know, because they're picking on you all the time, <laughs> you know, and how to, you know, I think if we spent more time taking care of the people required to take care of us, we'd be better taken care of. So I suggest that, and when I, and, and, the, and one of the things that I saw when these ministers would come in, as I alluded to earlier with Dr. Uh, with Dr. Thomas, I spent, that's why I got to the point where if I had to give talks for churches, I wasn't trying to be a goody two shoes to give. I felt that it was, I was obligated to make sure that if ever I was going to, if a church asked me to give a talk or somewhere where there were people who were um, there under, under the, uh, you know, in, in, they were there in a church setting. Mm-hmm. I just never charged them. Why? Because, that's the least I can do. <laughs> you know? So I think that we need to spend a lot of time taking care of you guys. And I think that, and, 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 it, and you know, and sometimes you all are feel alone too because people expect you to be perfect. Look at all the, the pressures they put on ministers and first ladies. And, and that's why I couldn't do it. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's hard. And so I'm very supportive of the ministers that we have in this city and throughout this country, because I know that his devices with the little H <laughs> are are very, very well, you know, he's got them well oiled. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got all these little lower level devils trying to attack people. And so, but, but we need to keep people, they have to be healthy to even think straight. So we should spend a lot of time, those of us who are in, uh, health care, taking care of people whose job it is to take care of our spirit and our souls. Awesome answer. Thank you. Uh, so we just want to acknowledge those uh, pastors uh, who are providing pastoral care, those ministers uh, who are co-laboring in the city of Indianapolis across the nation. You know, that's what the Wellness Connection is all about. All about. You know, it's a group of pastors and ministers who are co-laboring, working together to address mm-hmm 
uh, health disparities of their congregation. But ultimately, we want those people who are serving the masses to be healthy as well, a healthier us, a healthier community. So we're all for that. We're here. This is the Health and Wellness in Focus program and podcast with my guest today, Dr. Deborah Carter Miller, and she is the owner of the uh, Mapleton uh, Mapleton Park Plaza. And um, I wanted to ask you, because you've owned that venue, you've owned that space for over 30 years. Since I was 12. Why? <laughs> so she's only 42. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, and uh, we, we uh, recognize that you're an entrepreneur, you're a minority, also very accomplished as a doctor. So we want to salute you as well. Is there anything else that, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for being a staple in the community, doing the work that you do. Doing my job. Absolutely. Absolutely. We thank God for you. Is there anything else that you would like to share? with the viewers, with the listeners um, in regards to um, your practice, in regards to them advocating? Well, I think that I just want to be available for, you know, to do what I've been called to do. I'm just grateful that when I had some things happened to my practice, which is an attempt to disparage several things that we've been trying to do, that I had the the utmost support of the community. And I am just so grateful. So I just want to thank the people who have, who have chosen to support us and what we have chosen to do. Because without you guys, I couldn't have done it. There's no way. So I just want to be give my personal thanks to the community who has supported us for since 1988. No matter what happened, they sit there for two hours when somebody else is sick. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it, and so I just want to say thank you to the community because it's kept me on that corner, it's sustained me. Mm-hmm. And there are people that when we were having, you know, when things are going, people have come by and blessed the building and prayed for the building and the community. And uh, then we serve, and that's why I'm still there. And I just consider it an honor to be there. And I won't leave that corner until he asks me to. And I'm going to pass it on to whoever he chooses to come after me. But thank you to the community for being so supportive and committed to us for for your health care needs. Awesome. That's awesome. And how can they get in contact with you or stop by? Oh, uh, well, we stopped taking smoke signals. So now we do. <laughs> no, all jokes aside. Our number is area code 317-924-4545. And our medical center is www dot Mapleton Medical Center Indy.com. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm Minister Corey Jones, and this is Dr. Deborah Carter Miller. And we want to thank you for tuning in to the Health and Wellness in Focus program and podcast. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe so you can stay up to date. Also, when you get a moment, visit www.wellnessconnectionindy.org. And you can find information in regards to this organization. It has been my pleasure to be before you today. And I want to, again, thank Dr. Deborah Carter Miller for joining us here on the program and podcast. Thank you. And thank you for having me and allowing me to share some of my experiences and my ideas. And thank you for the wonderful questions. Thank you. Pleasure.